One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're so happy to have guys along. Uh, so much has been going on. I apologize for the replay last week. I uh, had to do a replay as I was traveling back from Spokane, Washington, and I uh, was with the uh, uh, the PMI chapter, I think they call it the Inland West, but um, uh, out there in Spokane, and what a fantastic group of people. Uh, we had a fantastic time, uh, did a full-day seminar, got a chance to spend some time with, with a friend of the show, John Stenbeck. We got the chance to talk business and everything else, so it was a great time there. The big news uh, of this week is the Forbes article that just dropped uh, that we had the opportunity to do. So Forbes did a story on me in, in, in speaking and in, in the fact that I'd built a, a solid LinkedIn following uh, that had over 200 plus uh, recommendations on my LinkedIn. So that caught the attention of Forbes and uh, we did an article there and that dropped yesterday. And so my phone's been blowing up and everything else uh, it's been really exciting, uh, the reaction to that Forbes article and everything else. So you can find that article on my Twitter, at Rick A. Morris, uh, through my Facebook page, which is Rick A. Morris as well. And uh, it's on rickamorris.com. And so uh, if you want to catch up on that article. But it was very nice, well-written, and I'm looking to get the person who wrote the article uh, to join us here on a show. Uh, upcoming events for us, uh, I'll be in St. Louis, Missouri next week uh, doing a private event for Edward Jones. Uh, we'll be at um, back to Miami the week after that, and then June 9th is the uh, is the PDD or Professional Development Day uh, for a PMI chapter there in El Paso, Texas. So we'll be in El Paso, uh, not only doing a full day seminar on the eighth, but also doing some keynote speeches on the ninth. So please join along, and uh, if you're out there, if you're in El Paso, come see us. Um, if I catch you in Missouri or catch you in Miami, I'd love to see you as well. Uh, lots of stuff going on, lots of stuff to talk about. Today, what I thought we would talk about uh, is, is really around product launches. And product launches, it, it's amazing because the rise of Agile, the rise of project management, what's really been happening in, in our whole acceleration um, in the tools that we use and the things that our Square does, uh, what we really want to do is shorten the amount of time from ideas to outcomes. And so if you think about it, as projects were you know, go on or as you're doing projects in a business, sometimes it could take a year, year and a half, two years uh, to launch something. And so I'm fascinated by stories of disruption. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about finding out, you know, what's going right, what's going wrong. Uh, and, and so I found a, a website called Product Hunt, which which uh, I think is phenomenal. It's, it's kind of my new, um, it's my new favorite craze to read through at the moment. And so they had some wonderful stories uh, of apps, startups, and failures, and we'll talk about that uh, here in a moment. What, what I find fascinating right now, too, is all the, the corporate uh, things that are going on. Um, so obviously, we had the United uh, situation, and you want to talk about just handling PR in a horrible way. Uh, in, in the rise of social media in, in cell phones, you know, I can't imagine that that was the first time something like that happened. It just happened to be the first time it got caught on camera. Uh, and now all of all of a sudden we're seeing all these videos. So we saw um, video recently of, of a fight, and we saw uh, on a Southwest flight. We saw a video recently 
uh, from I believe it was Delta where where somebody was getting snippy with 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 the lady, and uh, and what I find fascinating in tying this back to product launches is the is the United thing. I saw it, it was one of the top new apps that came out in the last really thirty days. Uh, was this app or a Chrome extension that was released called Drop United. And this is one of the first times I've seen it really get aggressive towards a, a company. I thought that was kind of interesting. But but what this Chrome extension does is as you're searching for uh, flights and things like that through Google and some of the, the, the most popular booking sites, it, it removes United flights from the view altogether. So this Chrome app will watch – and if the flight happens to be a United flight, then they're not going to – it doesn't show up. And I thought that was you know, fascinating that people are starting to turn apps and Chrome extensions and things like that into some, some sort of social retribution towards a, a company and, and how quickly things can get out of control. I mean, not only was it just mishandled, but the reaction to the event was mishandled on the United flight. And now the next thing you know, there there's a widely – um, utilized in in advertised app that is is hitting United financially. So you want to talk about a PR crisis that just doesn't seem to be going away. Uh, but what what really fascinates me is not only the intent of it, but how quickly it came out. And so that whole reduction of ideas to outcomes is is something that we're we're watching and monitoring. But I mean, you can stand up a new app or Chrome extension or something like that in in a heartbeat. And all of a sudden, impact an organization like United, that kind of stuff, uh, in terms of culture. And so I think we're going to see this on the rise. I think we're going to see it for some of the bigger um, companies, you know, certainly retail and things of that sort, um, where it's a way for consumers to actively filter out things that they are not interested in. Um, and, and when they decide there's a company that they don't want to do business with, you know, I hear people all the time. The one, the one that I hear all the time is Walmart and certainly Walmart. Uh, a lot of people will praise some of their business practices. A lot of people, um, will hurt their, you know, are upset with their business practices. And there was an article that came out, uh, several years ago called the Walmart you don't know, uh, that I found as, as a fascinating article. You can still find that on the web as well. But, um, I think when people are starting to get enough of certain companies and feel like they can't do anything about it, um, social media and the way these apps come out and the way these products launch uh, certainly has a, a direct impact. I mean, I, I have a personal story of utilizing Twitter um, with, with the company of Jaguar. So I, I had a, a car, Jaguar, and um, that's certainly not a social status, but, but you know, I'd own this car and it, it broke down like seven or eight times. And so I just said, hey, guys, it's a lemon. It's no big deal. That happens. It's part of products. Uh, just give me a different car. That's, that's all I want. And it turned into this long thing. And by the time I got frustrated and, and sought an attorney over it, the attorney tells me, you know, well, you got to wait for it to break down again. Then they have to have a chance to fix it. And then you got to have a, then it's got to break down again. And we've got, you know, we've got recourse. We can take at that point. So I'm thinking, you know, it's another six, seven months that I'm going to have this car that I'm happy with. So I happened to tweet out my frustration. So I just sent out a tweet and said, you know, I'm upset that, that this happened. And I got a phone call from Jaguar and they said, you know, well, why did you tweet that? And I said, well, why are you calling me? I mean, you know why I'm upset. But they told me that every time a tweet came across their, their desk, it, it went to my case manager. 
I said, well, that's, that's kind of the last thing you needed to tell me because what I then set up is through an auto-tweet service is tweeting out negative articles about Jaguar every hour to get their attention. And it took about eight days uh, before I got a phone call back with a settlement offer to take the car in. And, and that's the first time I saw, personally, the power of social media really benefiting the consumer when they're up against these large companies that just kind of tell you, well, there's nothing you could do. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, I thought that was cool that, that that would happen. And so now you're seeing this with United and all these other apps. And so what I wanted to focus the rest of the show on and really talk about this is, is you know, how do we build that app culture? How do we reduce ideas to outcomes and what's happening out there in the workspace? And, and so I'll tell you our, our very first thing that we've got to do in order to be successful in an app launch or that kind of stuff, regardless of of what other um, what other companies are out there and all that kind of stuff, the, the first thing you really need to do is make sure that you've got enough people to do the projects. And I see that as the number one issue in almost every company is that they try to do everything. They try to pick all the projects. They say, let's go. They have no understanding of what the resource capabilities are. So they pick projects based on what they can spend and not what they can do uh, and, and achievably do with their resources. So once we're, we're, we're selected there and we, we know that this product is going to be what we're going to go after, um, there's, some, there's some steps. And, the, and these, are, these are big steps um, that I think people you need to, to, uh, to do. And so one of the apps that, that I wanted to discuss was the rise and fall of an app called Everest. Um, it came out in 2012, and it was huge. And I mean, it was all over the app store. It was it was a featured app. It was all kinds of stuff, and it, it was a really really successful thing. And why I liked it, uh, and I was even a user of it, is it, it followed a lot of the things that we teach in No Day But Today, right? Take big goals, put them into smaller daily actions. Um, make sure that you've got people that are hooked up with you that are going to hold you accountable to your goals. It provided inspiration and uh, things like that instead of a like buck, uh, button. And it really challenged people to go after their goals. So uh, it launched in December of 2012. What's interesting is now in, in December of 2014, they shut down. So not only are am I seeing the rise of ideas uh, to outcomes and shortening that, that, but the rise and fall of companies are happening just as fast. And so you can have a really great idea, but just like anything, poor execution of a great idea is going to lead to nowhere. And so I, I really wanted to dive in and find out what happened to the app, excuse me, what happened to the infrastructure, everything. Like what was what was the rise and fall of this app? And uh, so there, there's a, a great article, again, it's out on Product Hunt uh, is the name of it, and um uh, they went through an entire postmortem with the organization. So the first thing is is let's talk about what went right. Let, let, let's talk about what um, was successful in, in a launch app like this. So the first thing they did uh, was making sure that they put huge value on design. Um, obviously, if an app is not easy to use, if it's not user-friendly, then, then people are going to dump it very quickly. Um so the, the design of the app and what it's trying to do is amazing. That, that, that's what you have to really focus on. But furthermore, the, the big thing that they did was build an incredible uh, corporate culture, right, company culture. Um, so they made sure that they were um, uh, really doing a lot of team building activities. And, 
and, and I'm going to stop here for just a second because team building activities and, and working your team together and getting them to do things as a cohesive whole. I work with so many companies that are like, that's hokey. We're not going to do that. You know, I don't want to go to a rah-rah session. I'm not going to sit around a bunch of fiery bricks and, and just, you know, have a sweat lodge and, and come up with these wonderful ideas. That corporate culture of togetherness where people will do anything for each other is where the greatest successes come from. There's no doubt. I don't care if you have the most amazing idea. If you don't have a team that is supportive and working with each other and supporting each other, it's never going to happen. Um, So I I guarantee you behind almost every successful product launch and, and every successful app launch that you see out there, there is that core group of people who truly believe in the mission. That, that's about as key as it can become. They believe in it and they go after it. So what we're going to do here is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and I'm going to talk about vision carriers, which is a new thing uh, that, that is going to be coming out through uh, John Maxwell. And then we'll talk about what went wrong on this app and some of the big lessons that were learned. So you're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. We'll be right back. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand. They are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back. Welcome back. Thanks for hanging out and listening uh, along with the Work-Life Balance. We're talking about product launch failures, um, the Forbes article, uh, Forbes article also that came out. Uh, and I just got some live updates uh, via Twitter while we were on break there. Uh, that looks like it's going to be the end of June for the Moving America Forward show to come out. So there'll be more to come with that, and we'll, we'll announce that. But coming back to the topic at hand. So we were discussing Everest. We're discussing the app and, and kind of what went right. Um, let, let's talk about what went wrong. And so this whole idea of of shortening that cycle between ideas and outcomes certainly follows that agile performance uh, model and, and what I love about agile is the fact that you can fail fast and that you can change and you can you can adapt. The problem is is that what you have you define what's called a minimally viable product and th- this is going to be the core set of features that are really the backbone of an app. And, and so what you decide to do is we'll roll those out and then you let the community kind of help you with other features they want to see. Well, the problem is, is if you don't shore up that that infrastructure underneath or what those core offerings are, especially the ones that make you successful, then those are going to uh, drag you down. And so Everest really thought that they were building that minimally viable product, uh, but, but it was filled with nice-to-have features, and it really wasn't, um, really wasn't anything that they had um, – uh, decided were must-haves. They were all nice-to-haves, and it was based on the team themselves. It wasn't based on, you know, really what the product demand was. They didn't really know what this product was going to be when they first launched it. And so what they decided to do is then do something that that I, I watched too many software applications do or apps in general is called feature chasing. So a feature chase is, is when people go, ooh, it'd be cool if it does this, and ooh, it'd be cool if it does that. And so then you chase after those features, but you don't keep a... a core vision of the product moving forward. And so in the case of Everest, they kept adding um, rather than, you know, being sure that this was part of their core product and and pulling back, right? So in subtracting some of these things. Um, And so they thought they were going to launch in four to six months. It took almost a year to launch. And then they thought they were going to be rapidly iterating. Um, But the problem was, is that they were operating on a base of assumptions uh, before they ever started building, that were simply incorrect. And so, again, understanding that user community becomes so important. And so what transpired is that they launched a slow and, and pretty much buggy product. Um, and, and they're saying that, that you know, at some point, um, one user even reported where, you know, they tapped on their profile and then they went and brushed their teeth uh, and they came back and then it finally came up. And so you certainly can't have something slow or not responsive or things of that sort. Um some of the other things is that um, they, they said about after two months of their first estimated launch date, they had new engineers uh, coming on board. And those engineers uh, disagreed with how the app was built. So, so now you've got a bunch of people putting their hands in the pot because there wasn't really a defined development strategy towards how they were going to release, what they were going to release, and how the code was going to fit together in the back. And so in the article, they actually say that the words spaghetti code and technical debt were getting thrown around the office at about 10,000 times an hour. 
And so that starts to get you into this mode of, well, do we scrap what we have? Do we move forward with what we have? Um, how do we cobble things together? And so in my speeches that I, that I do in seminars, we talk about how technology can be the greatest issue around a failing project or a failing app. And, and the, the unwillingness to dump what you have for a better model um, ties you into this old model of trying to fix something you know is broken. And so that's where this technical debt starts to come in. And so, um, but, but the core is, comes down to the two things that I think wreck every project, every app, and all of that kind of stuff, which is testing and training. So testing is, is one of those you got to haves, but what happens at a product launch is you're thinking you're first to market. So the faster we can get this out, the better off it's going to be, except that people forget the first impression. See, the first impression that you get um, is something that you'll, you'll hold on to. And um, so if you look at like the success of Facebook, what made them so successful was that they were launching in smaller quadrants, right? It started out just in one college and it grew to a couple other colleges and they still didn't quite know what they had. Uh, and so they worked on it, developed, listened to the to the core of the audience, iterated, and then grew it before they tried to grow too big. Now everybody, what they want to do is throw an app out and, and get to a million downloads as quickly as possible, whether the app is good or not. And so you've got to have that structured or automated approach to testing the product so that all the functionality can be tested, you know, over and over and over again, and, and, and that we're not putting out something that's going to put out that negative uh, user uh, experience. Because again, once you lose that user, not only do you lose the user, but you lose the recommendation, the, the, the recommend, hey, check out this app. It's really cool. You know, if that's not happening, then you're not getting into that, into that growth cycle that you want. It, uh, it took them also, uh, the, the other thing that they didn't define very well was, was key metrics of success. And, and so what's, what's interesting is you're, you're launching this out, but if you don't have a defined platform in which you can track and trace what's going well, what's not going well, get some great user feedback, that, that seems to be, and, I, and I've watched so many apps do this, it, it's an afterthought. The, the afterthought of how do we, we capture, you know, is this good? And it's not, we're not talking about the iTunes, hey, rate this app. It, it's how are we tracking our metrics? Are those features that we thought we're going to be using um, being utilized? Are, are the, the activities and things and, and, and stuff, is that attracting new people? Why are they signing up? Um, capturing those types of customer metrics is so important when you first start an app like this. And so for Everest, they said it was about eight months post-launch to start tracking a lot of the metrics that they were going for uh, well. And so um, they needed to pick core metrics and deploy the resources to track them prior to launching is, is one of the biggest things that they say. And again, I've, I've seen that multiple times in these post-mortems that, that we do. And then finally... Um, you know, one of the other big things is their burn rate it was too high. And, and this is coming back to, you know, this whole app culture. I, you know, it's amazing when I watch apps get VC money uh, and get people to invest. They just think that that's this big pot that they can burn through to try to get to the next evolution of their app versus cultivating that money and understanding um, the return on investment of that money. And so because they had money to spend, then they were spending at a rate which was basically going to just you know drown the app. 
especially if you haven't figured out a great way to monetize the app yet. And so there's there's a lot of stuff um, that can occur there. But when you start to, to, to look at your burn rate, why are you burning that hard? How are we going to be efficient? What are we going to do with technical debt? All those different things, you've really got to make sure that, that you put into your plan. Um, and then finally, it comes down to usability as well. You've got to be able to have a usable app that people are going to want to do. Um, so it's great, again, to have an idea, but walk through that idea and understand what the the inputs and outputs are. So one of the things that they were finding in this particular app was, you know, there was a ton of manual input. And so uh, they knew that um, motivation was going to be one of the key elements of a person's success in achieving their goals, but they could not figure out how to continue that motivation or if somebody didn't come through and, and do what they said they were going to do, it turns into a negative experience and the app started to become a reminder of the things you weren't doing versus an app that was pushing you towards the goals that you were trying to achieve. And so... Um, you've got to recognize that no matter what we do as an app or a software developer, as a product launcher, that kind of stuff, the core of that has to be making people's lives easier and better. That's really what's going to um, go after that. And so if you don't have a core defined workflow and understanding of the audience, then you're not going to be able to achieve that. And and so what I find... um, funny about a lot of these apps is that the the approach to the app and the creation of the app is that it's going to make people's lives better through the use of technology. But technology should be an enabler, not the end-all be-all. And so if you're just focused on the technology and not the people and the processes behind it and how they're really going to utilize it and engage, then you're going to wind up like, like Everest did with, with a phenomenal launch with a great trajectory that just simply... Um, bottomed them out because they couldn't keep up with with their demand. And so those are some of the key things that that we saw um, that was going wrong with it. So we discussed what went right, we discussed what went wrong, and when we come back from this break, we're going to discuss the takeaways that we're learning and that we're seeing in the the market. Um, While we're there and while we're on a break, though, please go visit uh, rickamorris.com. You can go to Twitter at Rick A. Morris. You can find us on rsquaredconsulting.com uh, and check out that Forbes article that just came out. Uh, we're very, very happy with that and how that came out and uh, blessed to be a part of that. Um, I will be responding to tweets and Facebook posts on the break, and we will catch you on the other side. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, 
all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end -end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back. Thanks for hanging around on the Work-Life Balance. We're talking about uh, product launch failures uh, and, and anything else that you guys want to discuss. Bring it on. Uh, but uh, we just went through uh, kind of a post-mortem of, of an app called Everest, which was very, very popular uh, from 2012 to 2014. And uh, it's a great use case uh, to look at because it, it really models all of the key things that I see go right and wrong with, with app and app creation. So some of the key takeaways that we had found in, in this case study is, is first – you know, our philosophy at R-squared and, and really most people that I know that do implementations, um, we preach it as uh, crawl, walk, run. Um, we've also set it as uh, foundation, automation, and innovation. But those three phases are very important because you can't run before you're, you know, crawling or walking. And you can't really innovate if you don't have a strong foundation to an app um, or that there's some key automation that's in there. And so, you know, Rightly said, the, the Everest people, what they said was first make it easy, then make it fast, then make it pretty. It's the exact same thing um, as, as crawl, walk, run. And, and if you're going to be looking at building a social product, then it's different than maybe a retail product or, or something you know of that sort. But almost every app now is social and socially based. And so what you really need to do is kind of optimize your funnel from back to front, right? So what you do is build a kernel of value, uh, some, something that's very valuable that that people are going to buy into that they really want to, to be a part of. And then from there, you can start to to build the engagement model that you need. So for free apps, right, if, if you're going to be going into the market and say, we want to operate this for free and then start to get into some sort of acquisition model after that, um, 
that means really what you need to be focused on um, just as much as the app is the engagement of the audience. So what you do is you engage the audience, you get them using the, the app, you get them up and running, um, and then you start to offer either the premium or freemium or whatever it is that you want to do. But then you can focus on activation and then on acquisition. But but you really have to kind of work backwards from what you would normally think when you're doing a design. Also, when we talk about minimally viable products um, in the agile term set, if if that takes a year to build, then it's not the the minimally viable product. Right, a minimally viable product should be dropping releases every two weeks to to you know at most two months, um, but you have to have, be in an iteration cycle like that, that that's really going to be driving value and, and further acquisition and, and further activation or even bring people back uh, to the app who liked it but just wish they had one more little thing or something of that sort. But the key has always been to start simple. I mean, what happens is you you get all these people that start to provide input and, and what you end up doing is you end up uh, trying to solve everything at once and thereby solving absolutely nothing at all. So what you really should do is solve one problem really well and then you can move on to the next problem. And the quote that I loved from the Everest people was that is what they said is product development is about earning the right to build the next thing. And so why, why I think that's important is people think that they're going to throw a product out there and they get some users and they get some early success so they think they're done. And really, all you've done is earn the right to move that audience forward. If you're not moving the audience forward, then they're going to stop using the app and they're going to get out. Um, but you've got to be able to not only move something forward and understand that, but you've got to get out of your own head. Um, product development and in, in, in the best people that I've ever seen do product development, um, basically are, are really getting to see the users, see the application in their hands, see how they interact with it. And the story that I have for that, and there's actually a great show, uh, if you go to rickamorris.com and go to the Voice America link there, um, you can you can hear the, the speech that we did with Paul Pedrazzi. Now, Paul Pedrazzi, uh, not only was he one of the core uh, builders of Taleo, which is an extremely app, uh, high-functioning application. It was actually purchased by Oracle. Uh, but he was hired to come into CA, or Computer Associates, CA Technologies, uh, to redesign their project portfolio management app, which is something that, that I support and work with heavily. And when he first came aboard, what he said was, look, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, feature Chase at all. As a matter of fact, I don't want to meet with partners and everybody else who thinks that they have a better idea of how this product should run. Because otherwise, we're just going to feature Chase and, and nothing's going to happen. What he did is he hired behavior consultants. And they went to site and sat down with people and they said, why are you clicking that? How come you're not using you know, CAPPM here? What's happening over there? What... What would you rather it do? And really watch the behavior of the people with the application and then redesign the experience from the ground up. And so that's what we mean by optimizing your funnel from back to front and understanding what that kernel of value is. It's not about the coolest, latest feature or gadget. It's really understanding how people use this and, and, and get it in their hands and watch them do things Um and so then you can understand what you need to improve within the application or in, in your product itself. Now, the success period 
to any product launch or to any organization, at the end of the day, it always comes down to people. And, and you know, I'm watching all these layoffs that are happening recently. Um, and, and so I watch these these companies go into these he- heavy acquire where they hire a bunch of people and then they launch a product and they, they drop all the people that help launch it uh, and move into a support thing. Um, and there's no cohesiveness. People always comes down to the biggest success or failure for any app or any organization. And, and the reason why I'm tied in so heavily with John Maxwell is his core value and what he teaches is to value people every day. Like if we're not valuing people for who they are and what they can do, then we're never going to be that successful. Um, and so the people aspect is is the thing that we started to focus in on on this product launch and, and what happened in, in the takeaways. So some of their things um, that they had stated is, first of all, pick your co-founders wisely. I think that's hilarious. Um, because if you if you don't want to be in business with a person, then then why are you launching a product? But you need to follow your gut uh, on the people that you work with. I mean, if red flags are raised early, we we can't sweep those under the rug. I mean, they're definitely going to come back in a more damaging way down the road. Um, and so, what ends up happening is, you know, not only do you value your people and your gut, but also the the people that are infusing a culture. Um, that's not conducive to the environment. So just because you know we hired somebody and we start to find out that they may not be part of the culture or believing in the same things that we're believing in, um, you don't hang on to them because what ends up happening is that's that, that's going to pull the whole culture down. Um, we also need to expect that it's going to take, you know, really should take about three times as long um, as you would like to, to, to hire people for any position. Um, I watch so many com- companies settle very quickly because they have an open requisition versus finding that person that's really going to be the A-plus player, the person that's really going to uh, bring that positive culture and, and, and work out and that kind of stuff. And what, what ends up happening is it's going to cost you 10 times as much, and it's going to take you six to eight months um, to go find that person versus if you waited an additional month to find the right candidate to hire them in the first place. Um. And, and you've got to make sure that the people that you're hiring shares the values. Um, you know, working with people that treat others well. Um, a, a great story that, that that I got a chance to hear um, from Dr. Rome, Dr. Robert Rome, who who uh, is one of the leading uh, providers of the DISC profiles. Um, he was telling a story about how he was approached by a, a company, and you know, it was a multi-million dollar deal, and, and everything sounded super sweet. Um, and so he's at this lunch and, and, and he's hearing this and I mean, the deal's incredible and it actually could have made him a lot of money at the time. Um, but as the meal was wrapping up, he said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really not interested. And the guy couldn't believe it. He was like, how, how can you not be interested? I'm going to be bringing you money. I'm going to be bringing you all this stuff. I mean, how, do, how is that, uh, going to happen? And he said, uh, well, it's, it's the way you're treating our waitress. And he says, what do you mean by that? He says, yeah, it's the way you're treating the waitress. I I don't like the way you're talking to her. I don't like the way you're treating her. And, you know, I don't want to be involved with somebody who who doesn't value everybody. He says, that could have been my daughter. That could have been somebody else's daughter. Certainly somebody else's daughter. Um, And just because she is a job that you feel might be beneath you doesn't give you the opportunity to devalue a person. And I loved that. I, I loved hearing that that talk. But this guy 
you know, lost a multi-million dollar deal with somebody he could have been in business with all because he's not valuing everybody that he's working with. And so if you don't have people that share your values and, and you don't want those types of people around, then let's not hire them. Let's not bring them in because you've got to make sure and have a sense um, that they're going to cultivate an environment that you believe in. You know, John Maxwell says that culture eats vision for lunch every day. And I, I watch that happen. I, I've had so many companies approach us and, and start to work with us that say, you know, we want to be next level. We want to be, um, we want to be world class in project management. But then they don't want to do the work behind it. So they have a vision that's great, but their culture is, yeah, but don't change us. Don't 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 tell us to do anything different. It's almost like they just want that rubber stamp of approval, and you, you can't work with people like that. You've got to you've got to see it now. Having the shared vision is fantastic. It's not enough of a reason to, to work with somebody, right? You, you got to make sure that not only do they have the shared vision, but that they're going to have the same values. And so that's where uh, John Maxwell is introducing you know, one of his new topics and something we've been talking about for quite some time, but it's, it's that topic that, that we alluded to called vision carriers. And what a vision carrier really does is is the people, it's not just the people that hear your vision, it's the people that take an active role in promoting that vision and that culture into a workplace. But having a great vision with a horrible culture, that's not going to work either. And so, for instance, if you have somebody uh, who's your number one salesperson, but they're not treating people right, and everybody sees that, but you're giving them the accolades because you want the numbers of the sales, then what you're basically doing is creating a culture that tells everybody, hey, results is the only thing that we care about. We don't care about people or feelings. Um, if if you have the, the tenacity or the authenticity or just the guts to fire somebody like that because they don't fit into your company culture, that's going to send a message to the whole company of to what your culture truly values. But if you promote somebody like that, then you're also sending that same glaring message to everybody that what you say and what you do is completely different. And when that occurs, then culture eats your vision for lunch. You, you can't execute on a vision because people don't believe in you and trust you because you're promoting values and promoting things that are anti what you say. And people can smell that on you coming from a mile away. No doubt about it. So the big takeaways here that, that we picked up was obviously people – um, you want to make sure that they have the right vision, the right culture. Um, and from there, then you can work your product from, from reverse, right? Start with the people and start with the end in mind and start to make sure that your minimally viable product is meeting that core, uh, value that's going to solve one problem really well, um, for a cohesive group of people. And if you can do that, then you're going to have a very successful product launch. If you don't do that, then you may have some short-term success or may not be successful at all. So we're going to discuss a few more things when we come back here on the Work-Life Balance. Uh, we're going to take another quick break, let our sponsors pay the bills, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. 
where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end -end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development, to management to security, end-to-end -end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. All right, we're back. We've been discussing the rise and fall of uh, an app and using that as a ca uh, case study that uh, has some valuable lessons. And, and what I want to wrap up with is, is a technique that um, we're teaching organizations now. So if you are part of portfolio, portfolio committees or things of that sort, we're going to do a whole segment on this, a whole show on this here coming up. But we're working with so many organizations now. Um, and what I love uh, about the way the applications work for us now is it used to be, you know, almost two or three years to, to build enough core data for you to make really good portfolio-based decisions because the portfolio-based decision is based on the underlying data. Well, through what Paul Pedrazzi did with CAPPM and, and, and really understanding the human side of how we want to use this, we've accelerated those ideas to outcomes much, much faster. And so what's cool about the way that we can look at portfolios now is what I, what I see with all the portfolio committees that I work with is, is you end up arguing, well, what's the algorithm that we're going to use to rank our projects? Are, you know, are we going to rank ROI over uh, you know, NPV? Are we, are we going to pick you know, corporate strategy, uh, what the scorecard is, uh, what the resource load is? And so they end up trying to create these really complex algorithms of this one's going to be 10 times more important than this. And then what happens is the committee then starts to argue the, ar the algorithm. And, and people got to recognize is that you know, the, the corporate branches are coming at this from different sides. 
of course, the CFO is going to really be worried about cost and the CIO is really worried about time. The CEO is really worried about the quality of what we're going to do. And so they all have different um, ideas as to what should be ranked higher or not. And so what we can do with software now is quickly load projects and then load the percentage of time people are going to be spending against projects and then uh, just put that across your base resource load. But then also uh, what I do is simplify the portfolio process. So instead of trying to create this this massive algorithm um, that's going to try to weight five different variables, what we do is run the portfolio with each variable as a, as a singular variable. We just say, all right, let's rank the projects based on strategy alone. Let's rank the projects based on ROI alone. Let's rank the projects based on NPV. And, and, and what that does is it tells us which projects would make the list in each one of those core things. And so if we've got 100 projects or 100 things that you're trying to do, and you're trying to find out what's the best 35 or 40 to work on, then what happens is you could say, well, we're going to take the top 35 projects, and this one hit – as one of the top 35 in each one of those singular variables. So it met the ROI criteria, the NPV criteria, that kind of stuff. So we're not going to say which one's more important, but what we are saying is this project's on every one of those five lists. So therefore, that's got to be one that's in. And so then all we start to do is pare it down to what those bottom five or 10 projects are going to be versus trying to always decide the top 35. And so when you pick the ones that hit each one of the lists, now I've got, you know, say 20 projects that, that meet all criteria. So now we just got to argue about the, the 15 that didn't and which list it didn't hit and, and what we're going to deem is more important or, you know, some are must-dos or things like that. But it's a really simplified way and simplified view of looking at portfolios. And so why even look at portfolios at all? Well, again, coming back to the, the Everest app as our background of this whole show – they were trying to do everything at once. And so when you try to solve all problems at once, you don't have the ability to do one problem very well. When we look at this from doing the most important things first, then we have a ranking in which we can do that. It allows us to focus. And when we focus, that's what gives us the ability to solve a problem really well. And, and when you do that, that builds that kernel of value that you're looking for within your app, which gets out to your user community, which earns you the right to develop further. It, it, it earns you the right to move your product forward. And so, but if you try to bring out 110 features, then those 110 features are all going to be poorly done, and then people are just going to walk away from that. They're going to hate that portion. So the, this ability to focus and look at a portfolio and then understand the whole work-life balance behind a portfolio actually gains so much more productivity than, than it takes away. And so just think about yourself. Think about your job. Think about what you're doing right now. You know, if I came to you and said, look, you got to work nights and weekends because we've got these 22 projects that we're trying to accomplish and they're all important. we got to get them done. That becomes a demotivating factor to your resources and your resource teams because they feel like they're never going to accomplish anything. And even if they do, there's just more work behind it. Um, if you come in with, with the attitude of, look, we value the time that you're here and we want it to be the most efficient. So we're going to focus on these five. We're going to knock these out and then we'll go to the next five. But I'm, I'm okay with it, you know, missing a deadline here or there um, if, we're, if we're advancing properly, if we're, if we're working towards the value of the product um, or if we get buy-in. 
but that can't be every project every time. And so what what I've seen happen in almost every organization is that nights and weekends used to be reserved for those special things that we all had buy-in on. And so we didn't mind coming in because there was an important project or important deadline or something that was very important to the company uh, to hit. What's happening now is that 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 nights and weekends has become so abused that nobody knows what's really important anymore. And they spend more time complaining about the amount of time that they have to work than they do actually working. And there's more meetings and everything else. So therefore, there's no focus time. And so that's how we do 30 things horribly wrong versus picking five things and doing those fantastically correct. And it always comes down to people and and how you work them. And I always caution organizations because I say if you don't have an approach to picking the projects and and making sure that that you're you're not burning your people out, that the people that are going to leave are not the ones that you want to leave. The people that are going to leave are, are, are your best people that had that passion, that had that shared culture, that shared vision that you were looking for. You simply burned them out, used them up, and now they're going to go find something else. The people who stick around are the ones that really didn't care about your vision, care about your culture. They're just there to get a check, and they're really not going to achievably push forward anything uh, you know, any further than they need to. Right? They're going to do the minimally viable work and then go home. And so that's why that one person – in uh, your organization becomes a member of 20 projects because everybody wants to fight for that person because they work so hard and they have such passion and such vision. But then if you you know burn those people out, then they're going to go have that passion and vision for another company. And so one of those big things that I think a company really needs to focus on is making sure that they're taking care of their people, that they're respecting that work-life balance, that they're respecting the shared vision and that you have that time to recharge. And, and when I see companies take an active approach to that, they actually become more productive. We did a whole show on, on the nights and weekends phenomena and studied different uh, companies that, that had these you know, different ways to do work. And, and their productivity just you know, drove up. I think Tower Paddle Boards is one of the best um, discussion methods behind that in which they couldn't give raises. So what they did is they said, look, we're going to reduce your work hours. Um, and thereby, it's it's giving you a raise because it's you know you're getting um, the same amount of pay, but not having to work as much. And when they did that, the productivity of the company went through the roof. You know, people could come in kind of be leisure, and they had deadlines and everything else. But you just learned to work with that. But it became a highly motivating factor. And when people love their jobs, it's it comes back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. When people love what they do and they really believe in the vision, you're going to get the best out of them. You start abusing that or you start pushing them to do things that's outside of their um, their their hygiene factors of, of making sure that their family's taken care of and that, that they've got a, a standard career. And those become demotivating factors. So that's what we're going to talk about on the show this week. Next week, um, I've got a fantastic guest uh, lined up for us. I'm so excited to talk to him. Um, he's written a book called Friday Night Lights for Fathers and Sons. His name's Mark LeMaster. Uh, and Mark is a fellow JMTer. Uh, he's got a fantastic book out, um, and really just well done in 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 working that whole life side of 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 the the pendulum that we're going to be talking about. So did a whole show on work and work stuff. I want to do a whole show on life and life stuff, and make sure that we're we're measuring to our own standard of the work life balance when we're doing the show. Uh, That's going to be it for me this week, gang. I appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Look forward to having you next week. Again, upcoming, uh, I'll be in Missouri at Edward Jones. 
Uh, next week, the week after, we'll be in Miami, and the week after that, we'll be in El Paso, Texas at the PMI event there. So please come support everything that we do. Love having you guys as an audience, and we'll be right back at you next Friday right here on the Work-Life Balance. You've been listening to Rick Morris. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show. 